before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Looney Hour episode 99, Big Wayne. As always, joined by the three amigos, we got Keith Dicker, Ice Cap Asset Management, and Rich Diaz, Tom Brady of Macro. Welcome back to the show, gentlemen. Keith, where are you? I am in Waterloo, Ontario. You can picture that. So myself, Mrs. Ice Cap, we are dropping off or delivering Junior to uh, University of Waterloo, his first year of college. So here he is. He's starting day one. Next week, I guess it is. What's That's he studying? it. Uh, he's you know, he's pretty sharp. He's going to do actuarial science kind of program down that way. Rich is not. Rich is drooling there now. He's like, wow, data it stuff. Is cool. Yeah, but it opens up a lot of opportunities. We'll, we'll see where he goes with it. But that's what he's thinking. Future but governor. Cool well, the cool thing about Junior, you know, he's 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 smart and he, you know, he's as Mrs. Ice Caps looks. But guess what? He inherited from me. The size, his funny jokes, <laughs> the sense of humor, that yeah. jokes. <laughs> what about you, Rich? What's going on? Oh, not much, man. It's uh, finally a nice, w- nice week in Montreal. It's been beautiful weather. Um, on the twenty eighth of August, um, in nineteen sixty three, um, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his "I Have a Dream" speech, and every single year I have done for many, many years, I always play the whole thing in its entirety. And we're not going to bore you that bore you guys with that now, but I think you should uh, definitely play that for yourself. It's on YouTube. So I, I always make a point of sharing that with my friends and family. Um, and otherwise, that's it. So yeah, go listen to Martin Luther King Jr. That's quite the uh, ritual. Speech. I'm not going to lie. It that's is a, it's a good uh, ritual. Uh, judge people what was your favorite line? Like, what was your uh, favorite judge, line from the speech? Uh, judge people uh, not on the color of their skin, but of the content of their character, which is something I take very, very seriously. He was an incredible man, and I felt the need to share that with you guys today. So uh, let's talk macro. But yeah, well, go listen to the speech. He's an amazing guy. There'll be lots of judging of character on this uh, episode <laughs> here today. So we can start We can start that one up with uh, CIBC's Benjamin Tal was out this uh this week here so he's the chief economist at cibc I, I think really actually a really astute guy i think his research is some of the best in the canadian banking world and so uh he was i believe at that housing retreat in prince edward island last week and so apparently this has now just surfaced out but uh Stats Canada and the federal government, per Benjamin Tal's research, has been undercounting and underreporting non-permanent residents in Canada. He says over the past year, they've underestimated by 1 million people. Uh, so a very, very small rounding error on oh the part of the federal government. Of course, you know, he basically put that together saying, listen, guys, like you guys are grossly not only undercounting, but that's also exacerbating, of course, the housing crisis, which we've talked about on this show uh, ad nauseum. And so really kind of brings to light, I think, the challenges that we're facing today as a country, uh, you know, strained infrastructure, horrible housing market conditions. And uh, part of that is is bad data, really bad data, Rich. <laughs> I didn't do it. Don't blame me. Um, well, they should hire Acorn. What's going on here? This is horrible. Well, you know, we'll see what happens there. But I have a question about how he can. Did, can you elaborate on, on how he concluded it, or what? And because I've, I've noticed that there hasn't been any pushback from StatsCan. I think that they've said, "Oh, it's a mea culpa." That they did they they agreed, right? Is, yeah. Is so StatsCan, they... like, there was no rebuttal. Like, yeah, I got. Like, they just took defeat and said. So they're they're wow, coming out with amazing. a quote-unquote, new and revised methodology as starting next month about uh, how they're going to count non-permanent residents. So uh, they have admitted defeat, and it was a really, really ugly one. It can't be that hard. You you know, you used to be a kid, you go to the one of the one of the one of the the fairs we used to have them called thomas amusements where i grew up 
You used to go on the scrambler. Remember that one? It was going crazy. You thought you were going to hit the other kid in front of you. You turned to the last second. No. Is that, well, is before that the you got on the ride, cars? though, bumper it's something like that. But before you get on the ride, the, like the, the dude who did not have a PhD in accounting or anything, he didn't go to Waterloo, put it that way. He had a little clicker. Oh, yeah, like in the clubs. Yes, absolutely. So when when you go on, he'll click it, and you got the number, and he he knew he was full. So see, maybe maybe StatsCan or well, you know, the border. I'm sure, they sell out on control, Amazon. Guys, there should be something they can do. Uh, you know, but jokes aside, guys, you know we're we're chatting earlier. Um, this is a significant error. It 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 really truly is. So anyone out there now, you know, they're they're stretched where they. They can't even find a place to rent. And if they do find a place, it's 50% more than what their budget was. Like this has pushed a lot of Canadians offsides financially. It's created an enormous amount of stress in our society, even amongst relationships, I'm sure. And I, I hope this doesn't get just washed along. They send out a revision on it. But I know you can't go back. Well, this person made a, an error. But but again, to miscalculate by it is it a million that you said steve i mean that's a million a people pretty, yeah yeah it's enormous it's it's enormous so so i, I can yeah so i mean to to benjamin tal's point it looks like um so they've averaged it looks like about a million people and yeah basically under anyways the long story i think he was saying there they, we hit two and a half million people last year or something like that and it was some some egregious number i don't have the report in front of me um but anyway stats can has admitted defeat and that kind of brings you to the housing affordability issues which yeah, again despite mortgage rates um hey steve just back up to that for, for a second for that for that story I, I i wasn't aware of it by the way so thank you for sharing it what what else like what did he add on as a narrative around it or did he like what else did he did he share with that information he found? Uh well, it's just like, hey, listen, like if you guys are planning, you know, if if the federal government or provincial governments or municipal governments are trying to sort of plan for how much housing construction or housing completions that they need, um, and what is the right number of new units to to be built? Well, I mean, all of those assumptions are based on horribly flawed data on your population growth. So, and again, this is why I think like, you know, there's one thing with data, Rich, and I'm sure you can appreciate this more than anyone. What's like, you know, I think it was what Jeff Bezos said that once at Amazon, where it's like, sometimes like if the anecdotes don't line up with the data, a lot of the times it's like the anecdotes, you you almost want to listen to the anecdotes. And so if you see this data, you're like, you know, the anecdotes have pointing have been pointing very, very squarely over the last 12, 18, 24 months that rent growth has been uh, enormous across the country um you know line you you see all these tiktok and youtube videos of people lining up around corners to go see rental properties i mean it's just something's not right right and so um it's it's unfortunate again that decisions are being made on horribly flawed data again think about this i mean if you're the bank of canada right trying to figure out how much to raise rates or not raise rates and and you've got you know you're looking at stats can data like look i mean we've talked about it on the show many many times which is like the um the jobs data uh, stats canada is prone to massive revisions um the jobs numbers are all over the place every single month highly volatile and so it's it's you know it's you're making huge policy decisions um on the back of data that is you know questionable at best i know they're doing their best job but i mean missing by a million people is a is a huge mess so so it's so it's it's cute that you think that they took any of this into account when they decided on their immigration policy <laughs> because if you'll remember i think last year i mean not to pump our um, tires here a little but we were on this very early because i look at the data and i'm one of my neurotic habits is to just dig and dig and we noticed that population growth was ripping. And at the time, people were uh, they we were derided for that that view and said. And so I just want I think, but so it's they did not think about how this was going to impact the economy in Canada. I can guarantee you that, or else they wouldn't have done it. And if maybe they would have done it anyways. But the other thing I think is important for Canadians to know is like not all statistical houses were created equal. And I would say 
you know, here's my PSA, my public service announcement. I think Canada should spend a lot more money on its data because there are countries like, for example, the U.S. that have incredible granular data for every single state even counties within the state, you have house prices or, or job growth or the type of job in the particular state. Um, you know, and for all the faults America may have, um, and you know, we there's low data, and some of the criticisms warranted, some of it's not warranted, but their data suite for understanding the economy, the good, the bad, and the ugly is incredible. And Canada absolutely lags behind, especially for a rich country. Um, especially for people who, you know, espouse to be, you know, one in the G7 or what have you. And so that's something I, we should definitely, definitely, I don't know. We know a couple of people from Ottawa listen to this podcast. So then take some notes and, and allocate some of that, uh, that pork barrel spending to, uh, to, to stats can. So think, maybe, yeah. maybe you target 2% of GDP. That doesn't go to NATO. We put it to oh, data. No, NATO's a good idea. Election. Come on, Vivek. Come on, Vivek. Don't, let's not get down that road. That road. We're not. We're not doing no. close to that. It's interesting, Rich, because you know, data is. You know, we always need data to analyze what we've done, what trends are. Looking forward to things. Like that. I mean, that's that's what my world is. That's what Steve's yeah. world is, and yours as well. Uh, I, I think it's a great point. You know, again, though, someone, someone dropped the ball here. But for you to pick up on this, say, 12 months ago, it meant that the data was there. Yeah, it was. Because right? I know for a fact you're not at the, you know, you, you don't have your clicker going click, click <laughs> every time someone comes in. Which, by the way, that might be a, a better idea, the way to do it. Uh, I assume that data was already known. And, yeah, of course, people in Ottawa listening to this. I mean, come on, guys. It's been a significant major error and blunder with policy coming out of Ottawa. I don't know if it was four years ago they started this or 18 months ago, but there's an enormous gap there. And people like to talk about, you know, other big challenges we have in our economy and, and system today. But getting this so wrong, it's not that it was wrong to increase immigration, let the numbers come in. It was wrong not to let our anyone in charge with infrastructure to be aware of it. Say, hey guys, we, we need we need better roads now. Healthcare, we needed to expand that in, in some way. And, and you go on and on with that. And again, like and you can't put that genie back in the bottle. Because if you did stop it instantly, you know, it leads to other unattended consequences. Remember that one from last week or was that the week yeah. before? Sorry to interrupt the show. Just want to let you know this episode is sponsored by Addy. Addy is an online investment platform that enables everyone to invest in institutional grade commercial real estate. They're the largest real estate crowdfunding platform in Canada. You can invest as little as a dollar to start. I've personally invested in several properties on the platform and they'll be launching a new property shortly. The next one is 20 townhouses in Calgary that are fully rented out or ready to go. Addy is free for investors to invest. But they also have the Addy One membership that gives a handful of benefits, including advanced access to properties, exclusive events, and more. Looney Hour listeners can use the promo code Looney Hour for their first year free on the Addy One membership. The uh, Im new immigration minister was Mark Miller, I think it was last week. He stated in a public uh, advertisement in the, in the media there that uh, the level of immigration or, you know, the issues that it's creating are, are creating uh, are threatening the integrity of the immigration system, which is basically, uh, in particular, these these foreign students coming here and uh, basically using these colleges as a way to expedite uh, permanent residency. And um, yeah. so, anyways, there's a lot of issues to unpack. We can. We can meander along about it, but uh, that that's the issue. I, I mean, again, an, another own goal, it, it seems, but uh, that brings us kind of to the next point, which is, of course, when when you under start undercounting and and uh, we have run into these housing issues. So, per BMO Economics, they wrote a report a report out this week. So, BMO Economics denotes that this is the worst housing affordability in the Canada on, on a nationwide basis since 1988. Uh, Keith, you're much older than than the both of us, but um, it's it's fairly well documented. Uh, the late '80s in Canada and and the the housing demise that followed shortly thereafter. So, um, you know, perhaps an interesting setup moving forward. What, yeah, well, I was 48 back then. I remember that, and 
<laughs> no, but it's, you know, it, it leads into one challenge after the other. But the biggest challenge that Canada had back then, which I think it's interesting because back then it was a commercial real estate problem. It was basically in, in Toronto, in, in you know, the GTA area. And where where a lot of these commercial properties went under, you know, one person's liability is someone else's asset. So several of the insurance companies went under during that time. So they had like one company is called Confederation Life. You guys wouldn't even be aware of that. But uh, I know we know one went under Royal Trust was another big name. You know, they they had a big challenge in, in that space. So once a bank's balance sheet does get impaired. Uh, or one person's liability, which is someone else's asset, becomes impaired. It it creates a, a pretty dark hole out there. But that was just really because back then, you know, Canada was Canada. Vancouver was not booming. Kitsilano was just a little beach. That, that was it, Steve. Uh, you know, Montreal was you know it'll always be Montreal. But it was it was Toronto, right? That that was it. Uh, Canada today is is much different. So I think today is. It's incredibly, um, depending on which side of the trade you're on, it can be frightening or exciting. When it doesn't have to be one or the other, if, you know, if, if you're positioned properly. But that sort of leads into, at, at some point, they will talk about the bank earnings that, that have been yeah, coming Yeah, we'll out. get to the bank earnings. But wait, wait, that point, wait, what's important to remember ahead. about that affordability thing is 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 that interest rates were 3x. <laughs> so you're having the worst type of affordability but interest rates in the 80s, I don't know, I was four years old in 1989, but the 10-year bond yield was like 10%. So it's just incredible. So not only do you, so just think about how, how like, so the affordability is partly an interest rate thing, but it's also partly the house price thing, which is incredible. Um, and um, it's just, it's absolutely nuts. So I just think that that's, that's yeah, so that, that's also the part of it that's, I think, really crazy. Well, well yeah, I mean, let's not forget interest long-term rates in the early 60s went from 4 or 5% all the way up to nearly 20 by 82. Yeah. The early 60s, 82 was a horrible time to be, you know, a buy and hold and prosper investor. And then from 82 to 08, 09, rates went straight down. But it was a few hiccups, of course. Keith, I, I know you and mentioned... Now we're going up, guys. I didn't finish it, Steve, but now we're going up again. So. <laughs> I don't want to hear this, um, but um, yeah, I know you mentioned the commercial side of things. It's interesting. I, I I do wonder though if we are on the precipice of another you know commercial real estate crisis. Um, obviously, it's not just a Canada specific. You know, we've talked a lot about the office, but I mean, I know like Toronto, Vancouver, uh, those two markets in particular have been dealing with you know office space that hasn't recovered, right? And a lot of these buildings are just going to hand the keys back over. Um, there's no bid. So one of my, one of my best yeah, friends, no brother, yeah. one of my best friends, brother, um, hopefully you guys can hear me now is a really big deal at a brokerage firm for commercial real estate. And he's saying that the haircuts are 20, 25%. And the customers are not happy. And the, the truth is, even if people wanted to buy them, the financing is just so restrictive, not in the sense that people, that banks won't give them money, is that they're asking for huge, huge spreads and the interest rates and all in interest rate costs are much, much higher. And so hey, we're Rich, why don't, why don't you explain to everyone who's listening what uh, like a haircut means and oh, sorry. maybe how like the spread might work, but don't go you know, too rich deep, you know? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know I what I mean. 30 seconds. Yeah. Go. Okay. So a haircut basically is just a fancy word for saying that you're getting a discount on a potential asset. So normally bonds sell at par, let's just say, and instead of buying a bond or or a liability, whatever you at hundred, you might be paying you only pay eight, eighty percent, eighty or eighty cents in the dollar. So that's a haircut of say twenty percent. And um the spread is just the extra premium that a lender will demand on, let's say, the cost of a risk-free bond. So let's say Canadian government bond yield. So for example, right now in the US, mortgage rates are 7% um, and the ten and the 30-year bond yield is, let's say, 4%. So that 3% spread over mortgage rate is like a 30 or 40-year high. So people are, there's some like, obviously some tension, there's some stress in that market. There you go, 30 seconds, not bad. Well, that's acceptable. I, mean, I like that. <laughs> so yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, on the residential side, um, if you go back and look at Canada's national 
average home price. Um, so we have the data going back. I mean, they, they pretty much bounced around, but more or less went sideways for a decade um, in the in the 1990s. So again, don't know, not a prediction of where we're going, but certainly you know the the worst affordability since 1988. Um, mortgage rates in the sixes. Maybe they come down a bit. Maybe they don't. Um, but that's probably another conversation for later on in this podcast. We have a lot of data that's coming through, uh, starting to test the bond market. But Keith, I know you wanted, you've been following it really closely, tweeting about it. People are anxious to hear your comments on the Canadian bank earnings this week. Yeah, so I think now we've had all six of the uh, the big banks have come out. And um, so if you're not following that story, there are maybe three or four quarters ago, we started really covering it. Every quarter, um, you know, a bank, they they produce, they release their earnings. And, you know, for earnings, you have your revenues coming in and, and your costs. And one thing banks always have to try to account for is, you know, how much of the mortgages they've lent out, how much won't be paid back to them? And uh, it's always a bit of a probability game. But when times are great, they will claim very little money will not be paid back. So your expense for bad loans is, is quite low. And then when things start to get a little bit tighter, they have to start increasing that that number. So we've been, uh, you know, the loony hour, because we're ahead of the game here usually. But about a year ago, we started, you know, talking about this. And one thing that we said was, hey, one thing to keep track of to identify if the Canadian economy is slowing is how much are the banks starting to provision for bad loans? And it's not the actual number that that is important, is what was the number they put out compared to the previous quarter? What was it from a year earlier? Or what has it been relative to the last 10 years? So remember, from 08, 09 to you know, 2020, you know, rates were effectively at 0%. There was no recession. The economy was booming everywhere, and that, that's it. Um, and now what we've had over the last maybe four quarters, I'm thinking now, all of the Canadian banks have been uh, increasing their bad loan provision every quarter. Some of them have been very aggressively increasing that provision. And uh, others have increased their provisioning more than what even analysts were yeah, expecting. Yeah, so there's so another another angle with this as well. So with in my mind, you know, the way that we look at our portfolios for, for clients at IceCap, uh, this remember the world doesn't always move in abrupt changes. You you get sudden, you know, slow turning changes, and then by the time it's completed, it it's you know 180 turn people are they're caught off guard whereas we would say well you know you could see this turn starting to take place a year ago and that that's what continues to happen right now so you know you always wake up in the morning is there a reason to change that view but from a, a bad loan perspective which indicates that other households or companies are finding increasingly more difficult to pay back on on their loans what they borrowed so whether it's a personal loan or corporate loan or some like small banking loan for example or, or mortgages that 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 data is continuing to play through and if i just have you for another part two is that right second part <laughs> people who are really following the story of the canadian bank so i think specifically it was bank of montreal and crbc i think it was the 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 Big increase they've had in uh, credit provisions or, or loan losses, things like that. You know, you want to call it. It actually came out of their U.S. exposures, and within that U.S. market, is what Steve was just talking about, is from the commercial real estate market, which also sort of points back to remember uh, a few months ago we were talking about private credit. Yep. Do you remember that? So that's what yep. the pension funds invest in. You know they're lending money the companies there or you know, or entities and structures that are not really going to market to do they're doing it directly, and the valuation of that debt you know, when it comes you know for your quarterly reporting, you know it's basically whatever you want to price it at. You know there's no market for it, so you you know you're always positive. So that's why like the big pension funds in anywhere that we're doing in Canada. You know, they've been talking nonstop about allocations of private credit. You know, our return the last 12 months was this, which, you know, which, which beat our benchmarks, but was led by our exposure to private credit. And I know Rich is smiling there right now, but that's because they, they just weren't pricing it correctly. And we've talked about that. Hey, guys, like I think it was BlackRock or PIMCO 
Are they starting to offer BTL funds for private credit? I think they were, oh, weren't they? God, I hope not. <laughs> oh, they absolutely are. One hundred percent. One of them is. It's either BlackRock or PIMCO, which you know, because they're evil, is probably BlackRock, you know, so to speak. So they got to offload uh, the risk, is what you're saying. Uh, maybe like maybe. a short kind of story, <laughs> maybe, baby. Uh, however, the point is, if you, you know, you're always connecting dots because the financial world is just money, like sloshing around, finding some place to allocate it. And, you know, once it catches fire, you yank it out right, right away. But now that we're starting to see Canadian banks and specifically these two, I just mentioned, you know, a lot of the provisioning of think for bad loans is from that very market down in the U S which in our mind is just you know, one to two dots away from connecting it to private credit, which means again we we are headed towards this this ultimate outcome, which I think we will talk in a second. Either either you know the world continues to grow and be awesome, you know, or it 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 rolls over and it's not awesome. I don't think we can get anywhere in between. I, I think that's like a 0.1% probability, but that's why the Canadian Bank earnings this week they were, they were so great to see because. You know, you you tend, you know, all the big media guys, they say, oh, you know, XYZ Bank reported earnings, they beat estimates. And I say, who cares? You know, any they bank can beat, beat their estimate. Yeah. yeah, you just got to adjust this or that. But you start diving down into the data and then you can, you know, as you know, as we always talk about, you know, it's the numbers or the numbers, but it's this, this is a loan, you know, a bad loan story right now for banks everywhere around the world, not just the Canadians, but same with the Europeans and, and if, you know, the panda in the room, this is the exact same problem they have. So I, I thought this was, I was waiting for this week for a while. I think even five weeks ago, I was saying, hey, next week they're coming out with earnings, but I was so excited I missed it by a month. What did you see, Steve? What what did you well, pick I up on I want to add it? some color. I want well, to add yeah, Rich, Rich you go me. ahead first. I've got I'll some take commentary. But Keith, you'll like this. So there's another angle to this too, which is um, Keith, you're familiar with the Sharpe ratio. So some people might uh, not understand, but Sharpe ratio basically is is used for measuring risk adjusted returns. So people will sell their fund and say, we're doing really, really well. If you make 50%, but you took on a lot, a lot of risk, you're actually not doing that well. In our world, in Keith's world, you need to adjust those returns by the amount of risk you take to make them. And the thing is with the, and because these funds are not marked to market in the same way that you can basically say whatever your return is, you can also decide what your volatility is. And what they do is they always take a volatility number that's very, very low. So sharp ratio is your expected return divided by sort of some kind of volatility measure, let's say standard deviation. And so what they've been doing, Keith, is they've been keeping the, even though the market's crazy and a lot of these uh, these private credit funds are doing doing really really badly. They've been keep holding down the volatility number, and so their sharp ratios are still really really good. And it's just so I think it's just it makes me laugh because I guess I'm a nerd, but it's just too funny. So you have all these like you have all these funds and all these like the pitch decks with these amazing sharp ratios, these bogus returns because they're not marked to market. And and just these cleverly like I mean just yeah anyways so, so what I love about that and and again people may not realize this but the biggest influencer one of the largest group of money managers in the world they're not even money managers like they're they're not even licensed to manage money but it it is the it is the consultants out there so they're the ones that direct pension funds how to allocate money and where not to allocate money and how do they come to those decisions Rich. Uh, with the bad data you just talked oh, about, yeah, right? You know, they're, they're, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, you know, they would say, well, it's not bogus. You know, it's this data they're collecting. But I guarantee you, there are a, a ton of pension funds out there right now, not just in Canada, but everywhere in the world, and and they have exposures. They have no idea what they're backing into, yeah. and it it might, you know, maybe they they don't have the market properly for a full cycle, and then they'll be okay. But if you get permanent losses in these credit markets, which I suspect has a high probability of happening, there's going to be a few consultants losing their jobs. A few yeah. pension fund administrators will finally wake up and say, "Oh wow, we, you know, it, it's not our fault. You know, we, you know, we invested with with these guys." But this is a big story out there. It's it's pretty. Uh, again, if you're an investment manager right now, you're in this field and you're not excited when you wake up in the morning. Oh boy. <laughs> Move to Kitslano and get into a different market. 
Um, CIBC, yeah, they reported net income fell 15% year over year. But yeah, Keith, to your point, the, the big number was the total provision for credit losses increased 203% from last year. Um, so a pretty, pretty big jump. Um, you know, it's the change of direction that is, is, is perhaps most alarming, but, um, there's one other thing here, which we've talked about on the show is the, the amortization issue, um, at these Canadian banks. So amortizations that are longer than 35 years, crazy. (laughs) indentured servitude (laughs) yeah so basically uh you have td that uh is running 23 percent of their book uh with amortizations greater than 35 years rbc greater than 23 percent as well um bmo we only have greater than 30 years available but that's at 30 percent. so 30 percent is greater than 30 years now again keep in mind you can only contractually sign a new mortgage with a 30 year am you can't have a 31 or a 35 or a 40 year those are long can less gone. can you have less you can do 20 you can i mean you can do pretty much whatever oh, you sorry. want but like the it's standard in canada is like 25 or 30 years it's like most typical right um so if you have a 35 year for example or greater than 35 that's telling me that these amortizations the only reason why they're extending out is because it's people that are trapped in these variable rate mortgages um, that really aren't paying any principal down. So um, they're bonded. <laughs> they're like Irish. They're like Irish farmers owned on land owned by the British in the 1800s. They're like bonded workers. Yeah. Oh, so, boy. Hey, Steve, like, I have a question for you about this. Uh, so let's yeah. just say I have one of these variable rate mortgages and I, I've had to have the amortization period extended from 25 to 35, whatever the number is. And let's just say the term comes up now next week. How does this get reconciled back to another 25-year term? Or am I able to keep it at that 35-year term or higher? Or is this a question for a mortgage guy? Yeah. So on renewal, right, you're supposed to get back into your contractually obligated term, right? So if you signed a 30-year AM and it blew out to 50 years, let's say, and uh, five years go by, now you're at, you know, the remaining life should be 25. So you're technically supposed to renew, you're supposed to fit the remaining balance into 25 years, right? Because you went from 30, now you're five years later, you're into 25. So you have to take a, you're basically having, you're going to end up with like a balloon payment, right? Because you have to fit this like larger balance, in in 25 years now you can again you can extend it back to the legal obligation you can extend it back to a legal 30 years but you still have to fix so now i think what i i think like i think the problem is maybe like a little bit overblown in the fact that like what we're seeing is a lot of these issues are being rectified in people just converting to fixed rate mortgages but so at the top, let's say though, at the top of that? the cycle they're converting rates at the top of the cycle Correct. Yeah. And so they're gonna they're basically self-enforcing these rate hikes. Sound, it sounds like a market call by both of you guys. <laughs> no, I no, I didn't mean that. I meant a, they're they're locking in rates at six percent instead of two. Twenty years. I mean it's twenty year highs, right? So I mean you're 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 taking you're like I, yeah, you're seeing people who are going, I can't take the psychological pain anymore. Um my amortizations at like 70 years. And so I'm going to like convert this to a fixed more rate mortgage. And that basically the problem essentially disappears. Uh, now there's other ways to disappear. You could basically, uh, you could sell your property. Uh, you know, it's a variable rate mortgage. So you pay your three months of interest and the mortgage is gone. Um, you know, so, or yeah, when you go to, op- so it's, there's a lot of, it, there was a lot of ways. I think these, these problems will get rectified. I'm not saying it's not a real issue. It clearly is. I mean, these are basically non-conforming loans on the bank's balance sheets. Uh, so it's a real issue. You know, CIBC here, 25% of their book is greater than 35 years. The only two banks that don't have this issue um, are essentially national, national bank and Scotia bank because they have a true floating rate mortgage. They have a true floater uh, that moves when the Bank of Canada and prime rate moves. So um, that's that's what we're seeing. And that's so this is really like an issue that I think is going to be 
a larger issue two or three years out, assuming that rates hold near these levels. Um, but this also ties into, I think, the next conversation that we'll have, you know, whether, you know, we, we do get a soft landing or not. Because if we get a soft landing, like it'll get worked out. You know, they'll come up with new, new, new structures for everyone. But if it's not a soft landing and we go into a hard landing, which is a recession, by the way, that's what we're talking about. And it happens very quickly. It, like it's going to put so many people off sides anyway, because this time it comes from job losses. It's not from rates going higher. It's from the job loss side. Or if you don't lose your job, maybe that second job you take, that's not paying out anymore, or your, or your partner loses money, like not getting paid. And, and this is what the banks are worried about. So it, it's one thing to have... Okay, rates are going higher, but everyone's still working. They're making their, uh, you know, they're, they're, they continue to make their payments that way. But if I'm the banks right now, and you, again, we talked about, you know, they're raising their credit provisions for bad loans and that stuff. I'm telling you, if, if we get a recession coming up, and no one believes it's going to happen, but that's what makes it even more frightening or again exciting depending on which side you're on it which i guess will also leads us to you know we have a bank of canada meeting next week so we have a bet do you want to do the bet now get it yeah so yeah. i know rich Here's is like the giant the there got the rich box got a, ready you got a box ready well, we're not the eating them now <laughs> we're not no, doing so, it now september we're 6th gonna, we're gonna bet now we're gonna eat them later well you're people gonna correct later. i'm gonna <laughs> you know i think rich is that, sorry uh, steve is just hungry he just wants to chow down Oh man, it's a long weekend coming up here. Uh, lots, lots to look forward to. Obviously, post long weekend, we're gonna get back into like I think people coming off vacations, markets starting to get a lot more interesting, and then yeah. we'll we'll be queuing it up with. Uh, so let's Mackin set up the Bank of Canada meeting. So they're meeting next Wednesday. Yep, and that's true. That's Tuesday hour, the loony hour. Is that right? September sixth. No? So we'll have a full coverage. So it's of the loony. Hey, full coverage of. The Bank of Canada presser September 6th for next week's Fantastic. episode. It'll be our hundredth episode. Uh so Tiff Mackham blessed us uh he, you know, with with the uh important update there. He actually circled it on the calendar. He knew, he knew it was a hundredth episode that week. Did you see it. the video? Did you see that video that's been going around with uh, Tiff Macklin and the childish Gambino and uh, This is America? That I would just recommend just I have not that. seen that. Now I'm curious. Dude, it's it's amazing. <laughs> It's amazing. Anyways, it's very funny and uh, it's a bit gory, but it's hilarious. And it, it's, yeah, it's it's in good taste. I would recommend you, have to you guys just send that, that to me off the record. I will here. do. Yeah. Okay. We'll do. So, uh, Keith, you want to take the first stab at it? Yeah. So, to set up here, uh, pretty sure we're at 5% right now, correct? For Bank of Canada overnight uh, rate. 525, so. <laughs> isn't it? Are we at five oh, or five and a quarter? Where are we? Jesus. Oh, boys. we're at five. <laughs> we're at five. We're Come at on, guys. Five. It is five. Come it on, is guys. five. It's five. It's five. It's just been I would, so many. I can't keep track. I, I don't get embarrassed, but I wouldn't like a little bit. I would have felt bad anyway. Well, you, you know, know what? Like, if he if he takes if he if he ratchets up another twenty five next week, I mean that would be official five hundred basis points. A clean number for him. Yeah. So maybe yeah. maybe he wants it. It's like Wayne Gretzky, fifty goals in thirty nine games. <laughs> Five hundred you know, in. I was watching months. a. Uh, it was a uh, Bobby De Niro movie from years ago. Uh, Ronin, that's what it was called. Great film. Seen it. Great. Yeah, film. and this this one scene is he's chatting with Jean Reno. He's the the actor in the conversation. Renault, maybe Renault, maybe Renault. Reno. He's it's, from Vegas. He's from. He's French. <laughs> he's, well, he's sometimes. Anyway, he asked Bobby De Niro's character. He said, like, have you ever killed anyone before? Because that's, that's the, the genre for this movie. And De Niro looks at him and says, I hurt so." let's just say I hurt someone's feelings once before. You know, that's what's saying. So back to the rate decision coming up. You know, will Macklin hurt someone's decision, uh, feelings or not? So we're at five. So again, the setup for everyone to know. Uh, we've now had about six weeks since the last meeting, I'm assuming, somewhere in that range. Some data's coming out. Some of it's a little bit in support of more rate hikes. Some of it is, is not so much. The world collectively is at this 
inflation still a little bit sticky. Growth is getting slower and everything. So the banks are in this position right now where it's, you know, do we do another one or not? Uh, unbeknownst to the loony hour here right now, because it is Thursday. We record on yeah. Thursdays. It's Friday for all the keeners that are listening immediately uh there's a canadian uh gdp number coming out on, on friday morning so that's already out by now and and that's going to provide a key piece of, of data for the bank of canada for next week and it will show whether hey the economy it's 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 doing okay or it's slowing down dramatically or it, it's still raising sorry still rising uh, aggressively so we don't know that piece right now but based on what i see right now and what i anticipate and and what i what they've told us remember the bank of canada they're so volatile they're unpredictable <laughs> you never know what they're going to do they say one thing and then the week after it's something different but uh it seems to me like they're, they're on they won't be doing any rate decision sorry it will not be a rate hike next week nor nor cut they'll stick at the five percent put me down for five boring Okay. Rich, I think they're going to raise. I don't need to give you a whole boring preamble. <laughs> I think that um, the fact that there's, I mean, population growth is one reason. We know that rents are going up. We know that the core um, core CPI, the preferred measures of core inflation that the BOC ignored when they were rising, I don't think they can be ignored um, right now. Um, I think that part of the reason why the BC premier sent the letter asking to not raise rates is because they, I feel he probably knew that they are going to raise rates and, you know, he wants to be seen to uh, be on the side of the people. And also, I think the most important reason probably is because I think the U.S. is going to raise rates. And I are think you call, that that's did you just part call an early leak. Does David Eby <laughs> have the leak? Uh, I don't know. The premier has a leak. Anyway. Uh, but no, I think that the, because the U.S. is not done, I don't think Canada can be done. You think a Canadian premier, a provincial premier, has the nod ahead no, of the market? Of course not. For I'm a rate hike? I'm just, I'm just oh dear. Not. Steve, what are we going to do? him a couple bombs over WhatsApp, eh? That's right. What are we going to do right. with this guy? Uh, but uh, yeah, so that's it. But the main reason is because I think the U.S. is not done. And so um, I don't think Canada can be either. What about you, Steve? I'm gonna go. I, I think David Eby uh, is uh, his his threatening letter has scared Tiff Macklem. No rate hike from the BOC. <laughs> For those of you who are, are aren't uh, quite aware, so the uh, the BC Premier David Eby uh, sent a letter. This is as of August 31st. Here uh, sent a letter to the Bank of Canada urging them not to raise rates. Uh, he says in his letter, "quote." Uh, in your role as governor, I urge you to consider the full human impact of rate increases and not further increase rates at this time. Um, anyways, he basically said that uh, people in BC are in pain, um, so don't raise rates. So I think David Eby, um, he's a big dude, man. He's six six seven. Um, I think Tiff Macklem's Tiff, Tiff Macklem gets the threat. So I have a question. Did David Eby so send six a letter seven, when? Wait, 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 whoa, whoa. So a six, six foot seven, seven about a eighty premier. That's going to cause one of the world's major central banks not to raise rates. That's Steve's six seven theory. Maybe. Okay, can I ask my question? Maybe now? if it was six eight, but not six seven. I, don't well, know. I mean, that, to be honest, he's he he's he's a pretty yeah he's he's. About 180 soaking wet. So to be honest, he's really not that threatening. Uh, sorry, Dave, if you're listening to this, but um, but Macklem, he's he's a he looks like he can handle himself too. No, if he out. doesn't. <laughs> wait, wait, did David Eby send a letter when they kept interest rates depressed forever and the house prices ripped and pushed people? <laughs> what was it? The real of cost. Not. There's a real cost to keeping interest rates way, way too low. And I just wanted to make sure if he, I mean, if he had written a letter about it. I mean, let's How be honest. dare you? How <laughs> dare you? The hypocrisy. Stop it. I mean, hey, Keith, this is a good point. Actually, you've you've written. I think you and I actually originally connected off of your reports. But uh, I remember you writing the report. And we actually had, you know, I think it was some of our first ever Looney Hour episodes was around you during the pandemic time talking about the provincial debt. And the reality is, is finances in a lot of these provinces are not that good 
And, uh, you know, we remember what happened during the pandemic, right? The Bank of Canada had to come in and buy a whole bunch of provincial debt to support that market. And I think that's the way it'll work out again. Like, I I, I suspect that the probability of a sovereign debt crisis is, is, is pretty high. And once it develops, the central banks, including the guys we have here in Canada, they would immediately rush in and they will support the federal bond market as well as the provincial bond market. Uh, corporate debt will just get slaughtered. And what happens to the currency, Rich? Where does it go? It goes down. It goes south. Where's the yeah. U.S. dollar go? It goes north. up. See there the irony? Go. We're going to switch go spots. south. The Americans go north. <laughs> yeah. So that brings us to uh, the next discussion here, which is, uh, again, maybe, maybe the Bank of Canada is looking at this, but uh, we've had some data rich recently out of the U.S. here uh, in particular. Uh, you know, some jolts numbers. I think Uh-oh. we had PC- PCE today. Uh, we had challenger job cuts, a whole bunch of data that uh, has kind of sent the bond market into a bit of a tailspin. I think they call it a tizzy. Yeah, I was going to say tizzy. I went with tailspin, but a tailspin's good get, too. You get the point. Yeah, I no, would say jolts- tizzy as well. I would have said tizzy. <laughs> Thanks for chiming uh, in there. I think we're like 20, 25 basis points off the highs of 4, 430, 432, whatever it was. Um, yeah, the jolts, which I'm not even going to attempt to at, at expressing what the hell that means. It was it was actually really, really kind of a, a, a knockdown number. So I think, and the numbers the previous month got revised, and it was basically across the board. So the way they do jolts, they don't do this for Canada, sadly, is they do um, they have it by region, so northwest, northeast, south, and uh, the other one, Midwest, and then they also do it by industry. Uh, so the industry group, so financial services, construction, manufacturing, whatever, basically they all sort of came down. Some of them were already quite flat. So like business uh, professional and business services were already quite flat. So that's that's there, but they all came down. But the thing is, it, there's um, different stuff, but then, you know, initial jobless claims, that's basically been flat. You know, that's a weekly data. So it's difficult to look at that. The other stuff that I thought was interesting is something called the challenger job cuts. So um, the challenger is the name of a firm, a consulting firm that does uh, research and basically they calculate the number of job cut announcements. So in January, when all those tech companies then, you know, uh, laid off, you know, thousands and thousands of people, you know, it spiked naturally and it's, it's actually been coming down significantly. And after having a really relatively calm summer, it's basically jumped a lot. Now, they, when you look at the Bloomberg, it says it's jumped 266%. That, that, that's meaningless. The point is it basically went from zero to very high. The problem with all that, Steve, to complicate things, is that we actually got really good consumption data. So personal, real personal spending beat expectations, and that was um, 0.6% for July in the U.S., um, you know, the Chicago PMI, which is, you know, a pretty important uh, indicator, also beat and so you're in this, I mean, it hasn't really changed my view on where I think the U.S. economy is going. Um, and, I'll, and I will reference that because of the delinquency rates. So something we don't really talk about that often is delinquency rates. And obviously, so there's different types of debt. There's like auto loans, mortgages, there's credit card debt. And the, the and so and then there's obviously um, and, and so you can aggregate those and you can split them up by different types of age groups. And what we're seeing now in the U.S. Um, is that. Delinquency rates for credit card payments for age for everyone under the age of 40 are basically back to way past the highs of you know 2020. And it's especially alarming for people between the ages of 30 to 39. So auto loans, delinquency rates have ripped basically, and they're almost basically in the into the realm of the 2008-2009 area. Okay. So it's 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 a I don't, it hasn't changed my view on where I think where we're going, which is slower growth led by, you know, well, not led by, but, you know, the US consumer being the last sort of cylinder in the global engine will finally seize up. And I think you're starting to see some, some serious cracks. And I would point to auto loans and credit card loans um, as where that's starting to make itself known, Keith. Two, two, um, one's a point and one's a question. The, let's do the point first. It is the <laughs> job opening labor turnover survey, just to be precise. I think my time. brain just doesn't want to know that information for some reason. <laughs> I hope a jolt sounds pretty awesome, you know. Yeah, for a, uh, yeah. Uh, and the second was a question, Rich. Do you, you just said you know it, it looks like we are you know, growth is slowing quite a bit. 
Is it your expectation that we hit a recession sooner or later? Like, what do you expect? I mean, I think it's going to take some time. I think we actually mentioned this, which is there's lots of reasons why it can happen now. But I think the main reason why it's going to continue where it's going to take longer again than people expect is because of the incredible budget spending that's done by the U.S. So budget deficits right now in the U.S. are 8.4% of GDP. I mean, that is incredible at this stage in the cycle. And what I mean by this stage in the cycle is like when you it, when you have very low unemployment, unemployment rates in the U.S. are very low. They're especially low for prime age workers aged between 24 and 54, whatever it is, 25, 54. And normally at that stage in the cycle, governments tend to spend less money. So your deficit will, and if you look at the chart, if they're inverted, they basically go together. More unemployment, you have these automatic stabilizers, unemployment checks and unemployment insurance, people draw down on all kinds of programs. And naturally when people become employed, they move away from that and government's deficits start to shrink. Joe Biden in his infinite wisdom has blown out this number. And so for the first time, basically in three generations, I'm not even kidding about that, like 70 years or so, you have unemployment's really, really low and the budget deficit's basically vertical up to uh, 8.4. And that amount of fiscal thrust in the form of infrastructure spending, manufacturing spending, uh, all that stuff has basically lifted or delayed what I think is a slowing economy. Problem is, eventually that kind of impulse is what we call it, that kind of thrust, that fiscal thrust eventually peters out. So that's a long way of saying it's going to happen. Fiscal thrust. It's going to happen. But I mean, Steve, I still didn't hear an answer. Did you? I didn't hear it. (laughs) I think it's going to happen later, longer. It's going to take longer than we expect. Give us the day. Give us the day. I think it's going to happen on February 6th of 2024. There you I go. Don't know what here day it's gonna be. Come on, you're gonna clip that. You're gonna clip, clip gonna, that, Jeff. Gonna... Clip that. Uh, well, wouldn't it be uh, great if that's actually when it happened? <laughs> you're a rock star. You might even get a date out of it. Oh, Think man. about that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, what about the? Uh, I don't know, but you know, Rich. I guess it depends on how you splice the data. I have the. the I'm following the Fed whisperer. Oh, Nick, cool. I've never heard of this Nick, guy. Nick Timmy Rouse. Is that how you say it, Keith? Uh, I don't know. Anyways, Nick with the Wall Street Journal. He's the Fed whisperer because he basically, apparently they, they don't leak it to the BC Premier, David Eby. Apparently <laughs> they all get leaked to Nick at the uh, at the uh, Wall Street Journal. So he was a tweeting that uh, head, headline inflation as measured by the PCE price index, the Fed's preferred inflation gauge, rose at a 2.1% annualized rate over three months ended July. It was up 2.5% at a six month annualized rate and 3.3 over the previous 12. So he's quite dovish. Um, and that's the whisper. So I don't know, maybe he's trying to get a secret message out. And so for, to be clear for everyone, uh, markets are not expecting the bank of Canada, the hike next week. Uh, they're also expecting that the fed has stopped hiking as well. You know, the market is saying, hey, it, it, it's done. It sort of ties into what, you know, the narrative you just shared. Let's uh, quickly, I think we need to finish up quickly with uh, my favorite central bank, which is, which one? The I don't change. I'm pretty consistent. Yeah, the <laughs> Fantasyland. The, the, the Europeans. Uh, so they're in a real tough spot right now because their inflation data is, I think it's actually stickier than what some of the American data is, is showing. But their growth data is even worse. And growth is not even the word it should be used. There's no growth. So if you're not growing, what are what are you? You're contracting, I guess. But a lot a lot of yeah, a lot of the, the data over there. Yeah, it's the stagflation. So stagflation, that that's uh, you know, one of the I guess the fancy words we use in our world where, you know, you're not growing, but inflation is still increasing. So it's caused by supply chain shocks and energy and stuff like that so but you know the central bank can't fight that because a central bank can fight demand you know which what's where they control with with you know with raising or or reducing rates but they can't change supply the supply story with it but one of the ecb board members uh this lady isabel schnabel say that again (laughs) isabel schnabel bless you real fast one more time i think it's right 
Isabel Schnabel. Schnabel. Bless you. <laughs> Schnabzy. Oh, boy. Good thing September is almost here, hey? That's when people will start listening to us again. Yeah, that's right. But the most important point today, everyone, is that one of the ECB board members, uh, she stated that economic conditions today are more dire than what the ECB predicted two months ago. Ouch. So, yeah, so for the ECB to come out and, and say that, meanwhile, you know, the ECB is still saying, oh, we need to raise rates and everything. But the uh, euro currency today, what, what's happening with it? It's getting, it's my favorite word, mullered. It's getting mullered today. It's just taking it. Um, so the expectations that the ECB are definitely finished raising rates. So we and we go back to this world again. So if, if remember, because Powell was quite hawkish at Jackson Hole there a few days back. If the Yanks raise rates again at the next meeting, and the Canadians don't, the Europeans don't, I don't know what the Brits are going to do anymore. Race. Japan is... The Brits were raised. Uh, Japan is, you know, they're in their world. And, you know, the panda in the room. And again, if you get the Americans raising rates, it, it, it tightens. Like that panda is just going to lose it again. Because, <laughs> again, we're, we're, again, we're continuing to see, you know, bad debt stories come out of uh, China. But, again, again, that's like the, what we like to talk about all the time here on, on the podcast is that you know, even though we're Canadian-centric, you know, we, we, we have all that going on. But it's also incredibly important for everyone in Canada to appreciate and understand how events from outside of Canada can come in and and affect us, and that's what we have right now. So Speaking uh, of, again, uh, yeah, the panda in the room. Little update here from Beijing over the past seventy-two hours, uh, trying to open the liquidity spigots to. Uh, stem the the tide over there but you had income tax cuts uh existing mortgage rate cuts uh the people's bank of china lowered down payment required requirements for first-time home buyers and some property investors um and they've also been instructing some of their corporation what some of their banks over there not to to sell stock as well so i mean they're, they're clearly yeah, they're, uh, trying, they're, they're trying to stress that people will buy or entities will buy equities which if you're over you're thinking I don't want to do that. Yeah, you first. You know, yeah, you do it first. Meanwhile, they're telling banks to lend more. If you're a bank, you're sitting there saying, oh, "I don't want to lend any money to these guys," because you know it's it's a you know a complete you know circle. Except they have a gun to there. their head. So, mm -hmm. Keith, mm -hmm. I have a question for you um, before we go on. Uh, why do you think that the CDS spreads and all of the bond yields um, over Germany, or you know, all the ways that you would measure risk in the bond market? for Europe have been so sanguine, which is a word I know the comments section in the YouTube <laughs> really like, have been yeah, so basically relaxed, have been tight. Um, they haven't been showing at all. I'm looking at the Italian CDS spread on my fancy Bloomberg, 84 basis off. points. Why, have, why got, have it been so low, you think? Well, you got two things going on. First of all, like even though conditions are set up to have a view that, yeah, I know things could just simply go off guilters here. Uh, it hasn't happened. And the majority of the market view is that it's always a regular cycle. So maybe the slowdown has been enough already. You know, again, the analysts at the big banks and at, at the think tanks and stuff like that, they, they never predict a, an extreme market event. You know, it's always the big short guys you know, that come up with that. And when they do it, you know, they're considered to be, you know, loony and crazy for doing it. In hindsight, you know, they are right. So you have that going on, but there's also then within the financial system, the excess savings coming in on a regular basis is still enormous. Like there's always every single day when someone gets their paycheck, the withholding tax comes off, pension contributions come off, and that money has to be invested. And it's, most of it is always going to the bond market. So one, one of my good friends, he's a, uh, a bond manager for European Credit over, over in London. And uh, you say, yeah, Keith, like every week I got to spend, you know, 85 million, you know, euro equivalent. So you got to buy stuff and you can't buy the sovereigns because you get paid more by buying, you know, something else. So maybe you got a bit of that going on, Rich. But, but again, there's a lot of things. Again, big money doesn't move. Once they buy something, they have to sit there and, and take it. It's the smaller guys, you know, that are nimble. And when the smaller guys are moving, you know, the market doesn't move that much until an event takes place. 
Sanguine. Sanguine? <laughs> you got it. It sounds delicious. I think that's a, that's a good place to wrap it up. Keith, when's the uh, official recession date? Feb 4th. Is that right, Rich? <laughs> that's what I said. <laughs> I'll take the 5th. There you go. I think I think we're in Q1. Q1 is kickstart to get uh, ugly out there. A few more fireworks. All right. Well, we got a long ways to go until then, so I'm sure there'll be lots to touch about touch on. Uh, I hope everyone's uh, enjoying a, a good long weekend here coming up. And uh, as always, we appreciate your support. Enjoy the official last weekend, I call it anyways, of the summer. And uh, we'll see you next week.